Hello everyone and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast. We're glad to have you today. Um, in this past week we've been in seven different states in this country and we're glad to have all of those of you that are joining us, whether you're coming to us from New York or New Jersey, West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, New Mexico, California, Arizona, um, those of you that have joined us in days gone by in Georgia, Florida, Illinois, um, those that have joined us from around the world, we're so glad to have you sharing Bible study with us. We would love to have you contact us if you have any questions or words of encouragement at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministry.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapels. Facebook messaging. Uh, we have been able in the past week to make contact with some of our friends from the continent of Africa, and uh, we're glad to have you joining us on Facebook, and hopefully you're joining us for more of our studies on podcasts. Today we're going to go into part five of the message entitled Aborting the New Birth. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Father, open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God says to us and then let us apply it to our hearts so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Father, we ask that Jesus would speak out of the Godhead words to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit then would reveal them to us We will receive those words, Father, and in receiving them, we will release them to your people. In all of this, we will give you praise and honor and glory for what you began to do and to teach being manifest in our lives. We give you praise in Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead's name. Amen and amen. Today, we're going to move further into the study in Ephesians chapter 118, but Uh, I want to look at a scripture uh, concerning Jesus dining with tax collectors and sinners that's recorded in three places in the gospel, Matthew 9, Mark 2, and Luke 5. Now, why would we look at these? Because in these writings, we see Jesus dealing with those that are not living a righteous life or lifestyle. You know, in our modern world today, we have many concepts and many ideas of how we should Uh, Work with, engraft, uh, include is a big word, accept is another word. The lifestyle of sin that seems to be so preponderant in our current day. And so um, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night about four o'clock this morning and this scripture uh, lesson came to me. And I want to share it with you today because there's information in here that I think we need to be cognizant of, we need to be concerned with, we need to be aware of as we are dealing with the rampant sin in our world. God has not called us to live a life um, that is equal to or on the same plane as those who choose to live in sin. Let's see how Jesus handled it. 
In these writings, Jesus is dealing with those that are not living a righteous life or living a righteous lifestyle. From this context, we must ask ourselves a question, what does Jesus say is his purpose for fellowshipping with the tax collector and the sinner? That's a very good question. Let's look at verse 10 of Matthew chapter 9. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Jesus was sitting at meat. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He identifies that there's something about these that have come into his place of dining, his time of eating meat, and come into his house. And this something about them is different from him and the disciples. He uses the illustration of a physician to paint the picture that in fact there is a need and that need must be addressed by someone who is great in greater understanding, has greater understanding concerning what the sickness actually is and how best to treat it. He identifies that using the physician's perspective. And he says, those publicans and sinners of whom you see me eating with, they're not well, they're sick. Now, what does that mean when considering the call and the mission of Jesus Christ? Well, they're in a position of disconnect from God based upon what we see them do, which is a reflection of who they are on the inside. The next question is, why are they there? The Bible said Jesus sat down to meet and they seem to have shown up to sit with him. Were they there because they saw a free meal? Well, maybe they were there because they saw a bunny in the parking lot. Maybe they were there because they saw the kind people helping them out of their car. Maybe they were there because of all the banners that were flying in the parking lot. It's possible they might have been there because their grandchildren were performing something that day. Were they there possibly because of the special performance that was about to be given in the house? Well, why were they there? What were they seeking? Jesus certainly did not mince words concerning why they were with him or what his intentions were concerning him being there with them. Wow. Jesus did not mince words about what his intentions were, about why he was there and they were in his presence. He said these men, are, these, these people are sick spiritually. They need what he has to offer or they will continue in their sick spiritual condition, continue to be disconnected from God, continue to sin, continue to live lives that are contrary to
to righteousness. Now keep this in mind. Jesus Christ knew what was in them. But he knows something that is so much more intense than that. He's on his way to the cross, and if these who are in his presence remain in their current condition, they will be damned by the work of the very one with whom they sit today at meat. They will be doomed by the work that he's about to do if they remain where they are, Sometimes I think in our modern church world we miss that as a tenet of our belief system. The sinner who sins will die. Yeah, we often miss that. We don't talk much about hell anymore. And we certainly don't talk much about hell to the unbeliever. Why? Because we're afraid we're going to run him off. Jesus was not so. He's there to complete a work that must be accomplished in the moment of opportunity. So why does he eat with and fellowship with the sinner and the publican? Because they need him and they need him sooner than later. Why do we associate? Why do we have church? Why do we open the doors to any that come in because they need us? And the gospel is a message that will include them into the cross that will save them from their sins that will change their life that will transform them that will give them peace and hope and life and not be living in the destruction of a lifestyle that will lead to death verse 13 said but go ye and learn what I meaneth I will have mercy and not sacrifice for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance isn't that interesting I will have mercy and not sacrifice when there is coming a day, and he knows it, when sacrifice will be the order of the day. Jesus has given the easily understood illustration of why one who was sick would go to visit a doctor. This is why they are there. They are there for a purpose. They are there for a reason. When they come in our church doors, they are not there to be accepted, my friend. They are there for the reason of being called unto righteousness that is by Jesus Christ. That's the reason they come into the church. They don't come into the church to be accepted as they are, where they are, like they are, and to go out and live under the same conditions of which they came in, no. They've come for the express purpose of being called unto righteousness and to repentance. He is functioning, of course, in mercy. Now watch this. Mercy means compassion. I will have compassion on these who are not well. Now that's a big term in our church today, compassion. Wonderful, wonderful term. Jesus said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. However, if we stay in mercy and we eliminate the concept of the sacrifice of the cross, the content of the sacrifice of the cross, the calling of the sacrifice of the cross, the work of the dying of flesh at the tomb, the deliverance to the new anointed life in Christ Jesus, the walk into the place where our sin and, and blemishes have all been blotted out in the tabernacle and we never come under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Huh. We're not functioning in the sacrifice 
of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus here is talking before the cross. Because in the cross, everything that man would need is exposed. But along with what man needed, man had to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, the life that I live, I now live by the faith of Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Compassion is a great thing. But shortly in the life of Jesus Christ, sacrifice, his sacrifice is going to be the greater deal. Now let's consider that word mercy, how Jesus is using it. He's saying that in my compassion for them, I will do something for them that they cannot do for themselves. I'll make a call to them right here and right now. And if they answer the call, then they'll recognize the error of their way and, watch this now, repent. That word repentance is also an interesting word. It means to reverse course or change your decision because of a sincere regret. So Jesus was going to have compassion on them and call them into a change. Now what would that change entail? Well, if the Pharisees identified that they were sinners and that their jobs as publicans was part of the life of sin, if they came to repentance, they would see the error, regret of the error and change their mind on what they used to be. Now what would be the outcome of that? Well, they would go from a sinner to a member of the righteous. They would meet the standard of righteousness that is Jesus Christ in mercy, but prior to sacrifice. It is from the stand, this standard that he was able to transcend sacrifice in the Old Testament. The sacrifice of the Old Testament teaching. Mercy could be exposed because he was the standard of righteousness that all those who found him had located. So this encounter was due to a divine appointment. It was one in which the great physician took a sin-sick person and showed them both their error and their remedy. Now what's the message to us? For us to say compassion is the yardstick by which we meet man where they are and leave them in their current condition while we love them is not rational or reasonable based on the sacrifice that Jesus Christ concluded. For us to say that fellowship absent from the standard of righteousness is in Christ Jesus and it shows the measure of our love well, that's not what Jesus did either. For us to gather in the presence of sinners for the purpose of sharing truth and calling sinners to repentance and not identifying the sin or the need for a Savior is not merciful, nor does it show compassion. Why is that? Because Jesus knew that for everyone he met who did not see the Father in him or come to the mercy of his righteousness, they would be left dealing with the two sides of the cross. One side of the cross, of course, was forgiveness and healing. The other side of the cross was death and hell. His compassion and mercy at the moment left them with a decision to make based upon their current relationship as a Jew to the ministry of the Father. In the days to come when the world would turn against him and crucify him, their window of opportunity as a Jew would be diminished. Why? Because of the teaching, selfishness, and misunderstanding of their own leaders. 
Now, after the cross, this ministry of repentance changed. Look at it. First, the work of the eternal sacrifice was expressed by God in love for the purpose of the redemption of mankind. So there became a sacrifice. Now, watch it now. That was greater than mercy. The work of the cross forced men to be born again, according to John 3. Repentance was no longer the act that brought men into right standing with God alone by itself. The Lordship of Jesus Christ was the completing. Coming into the Lordship of Jesus Christ was the completing of the relationship of the plan of salvation. Of course, the plan of salvation proceeded to wholeness in the Godhead. Now let's look. Acts chapter 19, verse 2 through 5, He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Now that's a whole other message. That's a whole other message. You don't want to miss it. We're going to preach that one on Sunday morning. When or since is the title of the Sunday morning message. You'll get it on Facebook and you'll get it on podcast. And they said unto him, We, not, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, What then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Now watch. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, the baptism of regret, the baptism of sorrow, the baptism that changes a decision, saying unto the people that they should believe. Now comes a completely different perspective on him which should come after him, and that is on Jesus Christ. So we see repentance, and we see a pattern of belief. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. These 12 men were baptized into John's baptism of repentance. As we know, they identified their error, sincerely regretted it, made a decision to change the way they were living. Now this is kind of in keeping with how we believe that we get people saved today. We preach a message, we get up and we say, who wants to be saved now that they've heard it? Raise your hand, pray this prayer with me, I repent of my sin. And in the moment, they have made a move towards God. But Paul is showing us that just the prayer of repentance is not all there is to it. Paul says in verse 4 that there is more now that the cross has come, that the sacrifice has been made. Those who come through repentance must now believe on him. Who is him? That's Jesus Christ, which shall come after John the Baptist. Paul says that Jesus Christ is the one they must believe on. And when they heard about this Jesus Christ, what was it that they were hearing? They were hearing the message of the one who would come. The one who John predicted would come. Now this was a prevalent message in this day as it began to be preached on the day of Pentecost. And it's a prevalent message today. It continues. Now watch what they did that was different than just acknowledging their wrong through repentance. Look at what they did that was different than deciding that who they were, what they were doing, and how they were living was wrong. The Bible said they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
They brought themselves lock, stock, and barrel. That is to say completely under the lordship of Jesus. My friend, that's different. That's different now. That's different than repentance, I'm going to show you. That's deeper. That takes on more roots. The lordship accepted shows an understanding of who he is and what he's done to make his lordship possible. This is the illumination of a new and greater light. Out of slavery and into freedom comes the one whose belief pattern is structured after this plan. Moving from the cross to the tomb to the deliverance of resurrection into the the temple as the priest of God into his lordship. All authored by the captain of our salvation. Repentance only acknowledges my wrong. Mercy had to establish the standard once the wrong was acknowledged. Now we must understand the relationship of love with the respect of the new birth. John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now watch. Love is the reason for the gift of the Son. Man's believing is the connection to the gift. Everlasting life is the result of the union. Love is associated with the process. It's not a covering for all mankind that overlooks the actions or patterns of belief that must be coordinated with what Jesus has done for man to experience the love of God. Neither is love driven by the mental assent or perceived repentance. Love is driven by the work of the captain of our salvation, what he has done in all the works completed that begin with the cross. So if we come into repentance and we don't come in to his lordship through the works of the cross, guess what we're doing? We're going to abort the new birth. Follow along with my podcast. I'm coming along with a message called The Commandment of Love and you'll see more on this topic. For God sent him not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world was not meant to be condemned by this gift. The world was meant to be saved. The point of entry, however, is the belief patterns of mankind. If they accepted his gift, then they would do two things. One, they would repent, see their error, see their wrong, sincerely make a decision to change, go another course, from their own. They would repent and then they would believe. Love was exposed and extended, but man had to repent and believe. Look at Acts 20, 20, 20 and 21. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have shown you and have taught you publicly from house to house. Look at 21. Testifying both to the Jew and the Greek, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone said, well, pastor, the repentance is for the Jew and faith is for the Greek. No, he said testifying both. Testify, I've given you nothing that was not profitable unto you. Man needed the gift of love to repent and believe. The outcome was not condemnation. The ultimate was the spirit of life that is eternal. In Christ Jesus. Verse 18 of John 3. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. What a sad statement Jesus has made. 
Why? Because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. They have not believed in the name, what is His name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the high priest and He is the man in the Godhead. One's belief patterns will make him in the spirit of whatever he is. He will be condemned by his unbelief or not condemned by his belief. Now notice that belief has two actions that are associated according to Paul in Acts 20, 20 and 21. Repent towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the Lordship of Jesus Christ as the result of the new birth. It is the condition whereby we bow ourselves before his exalted rulership and his complete reign. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation. Now watch here. That light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Man's own belief patterns are the deterrent. Man has come against the judgment. That judgment is the existence of light. When light comes, darkness is expelled. When light exists, the path is clear. Without light, there is no freedom. Darkness is full of captivity and bondage. The one who lives absent of life has no means to control their inner or outer environment. Their inner appetites drive their outer actions. So is repentance enough? No, sir. Why? Because acknowledging wrong under the conditions where choice is required and correction is mandated is far different than living out the behaviors associated with the moment of repentance. Repentance is a step that must lead to the revelation of the acknowledging of Jesus Christ as Lord. Anything else has no value outside of the setting where the acknowledgement was made. Now let's, let's use an analogy. Look into our courtrooms. The acknowledgement of wrong and even the apology of wrong is daily going on in our courtrooms across the world. Why is that? Because of the impending perception of consequence. Isn't that how we preach and produce the message of Jesus Christ? But when those that are held in accountants in that courtroom are absent of that environment, the likelihood of the person breaking his word when faced with situations that first brought him into the courtroom is very much more than just a high percentage. Why? Well, I'm sorry and I won't do it again is insufficient. It reflects a mental acknowledgement that has no internal directive. Only when the bowing of the knee and the exaltation of Jesus Christ as Lord Plants the seed, can transformation be had? Now, how does all of this happen? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18. He says, The eyes of your understanding are being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So what happens when wisdom, revelation, and knowledge is expressed in the believer? His eyes are open. It's not just repentance. It's a move from the cross to the tomb to the resurrection into the temple of the tabernacle of God into the Lordship of Jesus Christ. My friend, nothing that is dead has sight. Nothing smothered has the ability to experience vision. If you abort the new birth by not coming into the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if you abort that, then you are smothering, you are smothering your ability to experience light. 
Paul says that there is a means to understand and be enlightened. This comes with the hope of his calling. We can see, we can have the concept, the insight, the ideas that bring us to growth to know exactly what we are designed and called to become in the kingdom of God. We don't keep going like a dog and returning to our own vomit. We're also brought to know what the ceiling and the earnest of our inheritance in the saints consist of. This is the promise of God as exposed by Jesus Christ, the man in the Godhead. It produces his ability to dwell in us and walk with us according to 2 Corinthians 6. In so doing, he speaks directly into our life and the instructions and the directions that will result in wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. Father, I thank you for the teaching of your word. We want to grow the new birth. We want to understand love and light. We want to live in the light that gives us freedom. Help us, Father, as we pursue it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Well, may God bless you as you study his word. We appreciate you. You can contact us through any of the means I mentioned earlier. Have a great day until we speak again.